0: Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number one hundred and thirty two for Monday, March fifteenth, twenty twenty one. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Mossy Pixarose. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hello, I am indeed covered in moss. Uh, what day is it? <laughs> um, speaking of uh,
1: covered in moss, we've been uh, we've been gathering a little bit of moss in the uh, the pre show. We've been talking about some of the other stuff that we've been doing lately in in streams and in our other video gaming exploits. Joel has been playing Satisfactory. I've been dipping into Stardew Valley. And uh, yeah, we've been rolling stones all over the place. If you are interested in hearing some more about that, you can get the extended conversation every week from patreon.com slash the chunks, where you can uh, sign up to be a patron and get the render distance RSS feed direct to your devices. So let's step out of the, uh, the world of Satisfactory and Stardew Valley and step back into what we've been doing in Minecraft this week. I
0: started off and completed a blacksmith build over the weekend. And I forgot how good it feels to finish a Minecraft build in less than six hours. (laughs) (laughs) It's good, right?
1: Like those little builds actually like feel good when you've been working on mega projects forever. I should try that sometime.
0: Oh man. Look, I mean, even the bridge, which is not that big of a project took like 12 hours or 14, 16 Mm. hours. I can't remember. It was two weekends, which is roughly, yeah, it's like 16 to 18 hours, depending on how long I'm playing and, and what's going on. And uh it still took me a long time. It still took me longer than I felt necessary. But I chalk that up to I have very little experience with interiors. And so I, I tend to like mull them over and have a lot of trial and error going on in interiors. Um, and this one had a special interior exterior where I had like the blacksmith forge with the chimney. And it was outside, but I had like an overhang uh, mm-hmm. over the top of it. And again, this is inspired by it wasn't actually another Minecraft build. It was. Um, it was a a model looks like it might be like belong in like a uh medieval model tabletop set or or maybe a train set or something and uh so i i didn't copy it exactly but i kind of i i borrowed some different elements from it and uh also um i, I had someone ask in in uh, in twitch chat over the weekend like how do you get good at building and i said well you beg borrow and steal from people that are better than you uh all in good faith uh and learn and so i want to tip my hat to, to whip who i saw his recent blacksmith build i don't know how recent it is it in the last year or so where he used stairs and reversed the stairs to create like a small channel and you can't lava log that stuff at all, unfortunately. Um, but it did look like it would be a channel where a, a, a blacksmith would then pour, you know, molten metal. And so yeah. I added that into my blacksmith build and it really adds a lot. Like I was impressed, even if it's not full of hot, you know, molten stuff, it does, it does kind of add function to the, to the build. And um, I also, out of pure accident, added shroom lights for the molten material instead of magma, which is what my brain said, I'm gonna put magma blocks there. And I didn't have any. Anywhere. (laughs) I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well I'm not going to get them because the nether is like miles away from where I am in the medieval zone. I was like, well, you know what? I'll just I've got shroom lights. They're they're hot and orange. We'll try those. I kind of like them better. Just for something fantasy and different. You know, it's it's kind of fun. They're brighter too.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I I will completely agree, because having made that lava flow that I made in the uh, Founders Forge area of the Survival Guide world, out of exclusively magma blocks and shroomlights, it looks like it's molten enough material, it's got like areas that are floating on the top of it kind of thing, without it just being straight up lava, and it also just looks more like melty than the magma blocks themselves do that look like they've cooled a little bit and have started mm-hmm. to oxidize, you know? So there's, there's a lot to be said for substituting shroom lights in when you don't want actual lava nearby. If you have fire tick on, or if you just prefer not to work with it. Yeah. yeah. Give shroom lights a go. They're definitely worthwhile.
0: Uh, so the other thing that I I discovered about it too, is that we have the uh, furniture data pack from uh, Chuck Chuck on the server for like tables and chairs and just things like that. And it comes with a furniture hammer, which you use to then adjust the different models of the different table legs. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if, because this is from a data pack, can I still use this in an item frame? Turns out I can. (laughs) So I made a second one and my blacksmith uh, shop has a hammer above the door for a sign. And I use an old fashioned string and an anvil technique to hang one on a chain out in the courtyard to kind of... um, to kind of symbolize that it's a it's a blacksmith shop as if the giant anvil that you know is next to the forge wasn't simple enough um <laughs> and one of the jokes uh, in chat was that um it's it's hanging low enough that people might actually bang their head on it <laughs> to, to um, <laughs> yeah yeah to to to, uh, to initiate some business which i thought that was kind of funny um the other thing that i started on which i i didn't get very far was um finally hashing out the frame for the chapel worship building i'm not sure what i want to call it it's not a church i don't know Um, and, um, I'm going off kind of like more of a, not a Gothic style building, but more of something blockier and and chunkier, um, Mm -hmm. because I I don't want it to compete too much with other things around it, like the gate and other pointy important builds. And so, um, I still feel like the scale is a little bit off and I just, I'm always relieved when I approach these builds with wireframes, because there's a chance I have to move it ahead by three blocks, you know, or yeah Um, or shorten it up like the front part of the church is a little bit too long and the whole thing is just a little bit bigger than i wanted so um, i'm trying to give it enough room so that from the overhead i i'm not too close to the curtain wall which is going to have to move anyway that's that's a task for maybe not even on stream because it's just a lot of rock i've got to remove that's a problem for future joel though because i don't know Where that curtain wall is going to go because there's a river in the way so i it might end up being something specifically right along the river um but for now uh i've got the the frame of the church in and i'm really happy about it because it's just the way that it's just working out like all this planning for directing the player's eye is really really working out because when you walk into the town the blacksmith kind of blocks your view of the church but you can still see the tower but then when you come around the corner into the square everything is revealed and I I did a little bit of walking around at the end of the stream and I'm just really happy with the way things are coming together now that I'm starting to frame up some buildings around this area so it's it's fun it's just it's I've got, I had to push myself away from Minecraft on, on Sunday because I had started the framing of the church and I just got inspired when I started to realize, oh yes, okay, this is what I want. And I was like, oh crap, I don't have any time. I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, have to, uh-huh. I have to go get a snack or, or dinner or whatever. And so um, it's just nice to have that feeling of like waiting for your next opportunity to get back into Minecraft and continue with what you're doing.
1: Oh, yeah. Having having that momentum is great. It's the kind of thing that it's it's almost the reverse of the the burnout situation where you're just like, you know, you've you've got those ideas and it's just finding the time versus trying to find ideas with all the time you have lying around. Um, So, yeah, no, that's that's a good feeling. I'm I'm glad that it's got it's got some
0: momentum now. What's been uh, pushing you forward in Minecraft? Uh
1: in Skyblock lately I've raided a woodland mansion, and I sort of needed to do that in preparation for what I'm going to do next at the museum in Survival Guide, because instead of recreating an entire woodland mansion, it's gonna to be too big. I decided to do a few of the more significant rooms, basically in isolation as examples. So there's gonna be a set of them all laid out side by side instead of having them arranged like a woodland mansion would be. And I'll probably leave a map to a woodland mansion in the world if people wanted to go there and look for it themselves but yeah i'm just kind of thinking about how to do that whilst working on infrastructure and tidying up a few things around the museum but uh on friday i think it was i forget which day we ended up doing this maybe thursday um my brother-in-law chris was uh streaming minecraft more regularly on his own twitch channel and we did another one of our collab streams where i'm kind of teaching him about the the early basics of the game and the stuff that he wouldn't be able to necessarily figure out on his own um, so we went to the nether and it was his first experience of the nether, which is pretty fun. Um, we got a really good spawn, which was nice because I feel like if I'd spawned him in a soul sand valley or a basalt delta, then it would have been immediately much more hectic and and problematic. But we, um, we spawned in on the edge of a lava lake with a quite a large nether Wastes biome. I remembered that we both needed to wear gold so that the piglins wouldn't attack us. It's all the stuff that like I've been taking for granted for so long. But mm-hmm. just, you know, introducing other people to that as a concept has been kind of, kind of fun, and so yeah, guided him through a bit of piglin bartering. We explored a crimson forest. I told him to put cobblestone and torches down everywhere so that we could mark our way and where we've been. Um, shout out to Skizzleman for the scumpus, one of the, one of the still one of the best techniques for navigating in the nether. And it's so easy to get lost in crimson forests and stuff now that it, it very much becomes, uh, you know. A, a different landscape so yeah we uh, we had some fun with that we worked a little bit more on a kind of more modern house that i'm building for us and uh built a sugarcane farm started getting enchanting and stuff set up breeding animals that kind of thing so it feels like i'm doing the very end game stuff of like just showcasing everything that's possible in minecraft in the survival guide series and then on the other end of the spectrum i'm guiding somebody on an individual basis through their first real experience of the modern version of Minecraft, because he played back in alpha, but is now just returning to the game after basically a 10 year absence. So So, yeah, it's, it's been really fun. When you say first time in the
0: nether, you mean first time, first time, like,
1: Oh yes. Ever. Yeah, nice. never never been to it before. I think he'd seen it a couple of times if he'd like popped into streams or whatever, but right. had never really given it much attention. So he was like, "So that's a ghast, right?" And I'm like, "Yes it is, duck." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been uh it's been quite the experience. Our our first ghast encounter was actually pretty chill, like the ghast. I don't know how they're kind of targeting works, but apparently they have to come into a certain like Y level range of the player before they'll really try and attack you. I guess so they don't just hover over your head fireballing you constantly. But this one actually just popped up from over a ridge, floated over, didn't attack us, and then floated away again. And I was like, that was the most serene ghast encounter I think I've had for a for a long time. So that was pretty fun. Um the rest of what I've been doing on streams lately, we will get into later in the show because Uh, we have a whole lot of news for you about a certain lush cave
0: biome. Yes, uh, moving on into that news, the Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21w10a dropped last week. We'll have the link to the show notes and the, um, sorry, link in the show notes to the Minecraft.net article. I'm going to quote a little bit from the beginning. Uh, This snapshot brings fundamental changes to our rendering pipeline with the introduction of the brand new tech that is OpenGL 3.2. On top of that, we're finally introducing the Lush Caves biome. There's an important note about this snapshot for those of you with older computers. With the introduction of OpenGL Core 3.2, there is a chance Minecraft Java will no longer run on computers that do not meet the minimum system requirements. Those minimum system requirements are again linked On the minecraft.net article. New features in 21w10a, added lush cave underground biome, added cracked deep slate bricks and cracked deep slate tiles. There is now an infested variant of deep slate found in the underground so you can have your silverfish all the time. Yay. While they will not generate in the world deep slate versions of copper, emerald and coal ores have been added for use by creators of maps and data packs. Lush caves currently only available in single biome worlds. Most, uh, sorry, moss covers the floor and ceilings. Spore blossoms grow from the ceilings and drip particles. Lush caves contain clay pools where drip leaf plants can grow. They also contain azalea bushes and flowering azalea bushes. If you find an azalea tree overground or in a cave, there is a lush cave beneath it. Cave vines will grow uh, grow with glow berries growing from the ceiling of lush caves. Changes in 21W10A. Cobbled deep slate can now be smelted into deep slate. Deep slate can now be placed along any axis. Lightning rods can now be waterlogged. Fossils in the deepest parts of the underground generate with deep slate diamond ore instead of coal ore. And updates to some of the deep slate ore textures. There's an image along in the uh, show notes on Minecraft.net. Mine, yeah. Uh, ore distribution. Once again, more emeralds in mountains, more lapis, less copper, gold, and redstone, smaller diamond blobs, but slightly more frequent, less diamonds overall, less iron, and iron now generates lower down, reduced air exposure for coal. There is another ore distribution graphic linked in the um, patch notes for the, the snapshot in the, the article on minecraft.net.
1: There are a few technical changes in this snapshot as well, the most notable of which Joel has already covered, that Minecraft Java Edition now runs using OpenGL Core 3.2. This has had a couple of knock-on effects. The maximum size that you can now summon a slime at is 128, which was 256 if you wanted a slime as tall as a building. Uh, The give command can now only give up to 100 stacks of items at a time. This is, for example, uh, 6,400 stone or 100 iron swords. Uh, Previously, the give limit was up to the maximum value of a 32-bit integer, which could reach 2 billion, which is roughly 33 million stacks. And as we'll come to in the bug reports in a second, this was basically so many items that if you gave yourself that many, the game would just crash. Um, OpenGL, rendering is now using OpenGL 3.2 core profile. All fixed function rendering has been replaced with shader based rendering. Shaders are now included for all supported render states. Any shader except for the Blitz shader can now also be replaced by a resource pack. For now, replacing these shaders isn't officially supported and the way it works might change in future. The current rendering engine uses a system similar to the post-processing shader pipeline There are some differences between both systems that cater to the slightly different requirements. So we'll unpack a little bit more about what that means in a second. First of all, though, fixed bugs of note in 21W10A include the one that the give command could create so many items that the game would freeze. Normal ink sacs and glow ink sacks were not grouped together in the creative inventory. They now are. The glow squid remained dark, even if there was a light source block next to it. Ironically enough, that one's now been fixed as well. Lava not generating at the very bottom of noise caves has now been fixed. So if you explore a brand new generated world in the snapshot, you will find large lava lakes generating down in the lowest depths of the world. And previously in the snapshots, there was no way to craft deep slate tiles and deep slate bricks in survival. You could only get to those through the creative menu. A recipe for those has now been added. Last of all, if you're interested in learning a bit more about the uh, the inspiration and development of the forthcoming Caves and Cliffs update, especially now we're seeing lush caves in the snapshots, There is a YouTube video on the Minecraft YouTube channel, Dev Diaries World Generation, in which a few members of the Minecraft team now headed by game director Lady Agnes. Congrats on the promotion, by the way, uh, explaining some of the uh, the inspiration that goes into the update. Uh, I'll quote this from the description of the video. Focusing specifically on world generation, they discuss what inspired the new features, how they include different player styles, and which real-world rules they decided to keep and which ones they bent. We also learn about spaghetti caves and cheese caves, so you risk walking away both inspired and hungry. I highly recommend giving this video a watch though. It's a really cool insight into some of the development of Minecraft and without some of the extra comedic fluff that they've been adding to some of the other videos that might be aimed at a younger audience. So if you're more interested in a a serious sit down and chat with the devs about some of the the things that they're adding to this update, it's definitely worth your time.
0: I uh, really liked this video and I will just wave my hand like Forrest Gump and say, please make more of these. I like these. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> uh, they remind me of the Dungeons Diaries.
1: Yes, I was I was exactly going to say that. It's, it's very similar to the approach they've taken with the Minecraft Dungeons Diaries. And yeah, I really like seeing a bit more game design insight and some unique perspectives that each team member can bring to it, because Agnes obviously has the bigger picture in mind, but is coming from the background of being quite involved with the, the gameplay development process. You have Henrik, who is uh, a gameplay developer and is in charge of a bunch of the new features i think he was working primarily at least from what we've seen on twitter on stuff like dripstone caves and then jasper our our favorite texture artist is also there um giving some of his process on how to design textures which i imagine you got a a fair amount out of being being an artist
0: i did yeah uh one of the things that i really appreciated about uh what jasper had to say was um how difficult it is to make a texture in minecraft and um i i know that i get on my subjective soapbox here on the sponge chunk sometimes because it's it often it makes for better radio (laughs) um Uh but uh, and other times I'm just, you know, when you care about a game and you're an artist, you always have an opinion about like what looks good, what, you know, you can use and what won't use in the future. Um, but I just, you know, I want to make sure that people always know that that um, I and I hope everyone appreciates the artistic challenge and uh, the work that goes into trying to balance textures in in Minecraft. And I think we've seen a really cool workflow over the last few weeks between where It was Grimstone back when it first came out and it is now Deep Slate in its current version in this snapshot and you can see the progress like you can see the 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 exercise of the fan base and players just kind of like just hold your horses this isn't the final Mm -hmm. like we're going to watch this change over the weeks to come and really every seven days or faster we've seen different iterations from 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 Jasper on on Deep Slate and uh, I like where it is now uh, and uh, I just I like the the inside um, baseball um, about how the caves generate, like how they why they're called spaghetti and cheese caves, you know, and it kind of helps you wrap your head around what you can expect in the world, knowing how they're doing it. Uh, I think it's gonna be really, really fun. And it also, again, seeing them talk about it and seeing them set up and try to explain the complexity of it also, underlines just how big this update is for minecraft
1: yes no it's it's genuinely huge and and feels more so every time you look at a picture of the caves next to a picture of the mountains and then you realize they're doing both of those in this update and yeah there's there's a little bit about both which i think is quite nice i think obviously with mountains being in bedrock a lot of java players who've been into the snapshots haven't really focused too heavily on that but eventually all of that is going to merge and there's a whole lot of work. And these are just a few people representing a much larger team at this stage. But it's good to see I, I the stuff I take away from this is all of the, the philosophy that goes into how are we going to take the underground, which Henrik points out that you, you explore a cave, you've basically seen every cave in the current version of Minecraft. And then what they want to do with the Caves and Cliffs update is to take inspiration from how fun it is to explore the surface and introduce the same feeling to caves by giving them atmosphere and biomes and unique resources beyond just ore blocks and stone. And I think that's that's a really exciting way of looking at it. At the same time, you have Jasper pointing out that caves don't have trees generating in them because they didn't want to just copy the surface downwards into the caves because then You know, it'd just be like exploring the surface again. Caves have to have their own character and their own resources separate from the surface. He also gives some really interesting insight into why they made pointed dripstone a plant shape instead of a blockier model. And it's interesting that they're concerned with Minecraft becoming too literal in a way and how it needs to feel a little bit more fantastical. And like they said in the description, bend the rules of what is physically possible. So you get lush caves, despite the fact that light isn't present in the underground and plants need light to grow and photosynthesize and reproduce and everything. So I think it's a really, really neat video and some very good insight into the choices they're making for, for caves and
0: cliffs. Given what I've seen from some of the deeper um caves with the big stone pillars and really cool looking um support structures and stuff like that i wonder if there's a little bit more of a balance they can strike with the deep with the deep slate no what's it called uh dripstone caves um i I mean go with the models like I, i get why they have to do that from a technical standpoint uh and a gameplay standpoint i'm wondering if they would also look cool hanging from a larger stalactite or stalagmite that's made out of blocks you know, mm-hmm. like kind of layer the two. Uh, I feel like that would look really cool. So I'm really interested to see what a dripstone cave texture or subbiome would look like in a large cheese cave in the deep dark. Like or not deep dark in the deep part of the world. What are they calling? Yeah, the underground. That, that's that's the
1: thing. That's something I wanted to bring up because we don't have terms for that anymore. We're so used to referring to like Y sixteen and below in a current world as like quote unquote diamond level. We don't right. have terminology like that about the new caves yet, <laughs> and so I've been thinking of it as stone level and then deep slate level now. But right, you know, deep slate has. 64 blocks worth of range we don't know where the deep dark fits into that yet there are you know potentially all sorts of different formations you can find there caverns and like smaller tunnels and that kind of stuff and we don't really have the terminology as a community yet to describe what we're talking about each time so i'm interested in how much of that is going to come up in the next little while as people play test these snapshots more or if it's going to be much more about you know, the long game. And, you know, by the, ne- by the time the next update comes out, we'll have ironed out what the terminology is to describe
0: the yeah. different parts of the world. I wonder if that's just going to be, you know, whatever really popular YouTube creators are, are calling it, just either out of necessity, because they need to try to refer to it as something like not the negatives, you know, like, because just get calling it a, a, an integer value just feels weird. Um, I, I don't know if like, people might call it the deep for the deep slate. And then the deep dark becomes its own thing because of that's what they're calling that area for the warden so far. Um, There's also uh, a lot of creators out there that have silly senses of humor and might come up with different. Things, (laughs) Things, you know? <laughs> like yeah, like the scu- like the scumpus you mentioned earlier. You know, yes, like, they're, uh-huh. they're like you know, like there might be there might be a funnier word that just catches on, you know, and and people decide to call call it that, you know, which could be kind cool. um cool. Because I think I, I keep on calling it in the underground in my brain, but then like that doesn't differentiate it from anything under Y sixty three, right? It, yeah. That, that, yeah, that exactly. It, it, as soon as you're under grass, you're underground. <laughs> like it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. Um yeah, it's it's an interesting way to see. You know how the the Minecraft you know subculture is going to like I, I you know identify and like not um, navigate I guess the, the the new the new areas. Um, yeah, there there is no in-game terminology for it at
1: least, so we are no. we are left to our own devices when it comes to that stuff. How do you feel about the
0: new ore distribution?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking it's a lot more balanced now to me. Like I was, I've been mainly playing the snapshot in a lush caves only world. So maybe that I saw a, f- a few ores might have been hidden underneath moss carpet, which actually grows over them, even if the moss itself doesn't replace surface level ore. Oh, but, interesting. Um, yeah, I I didn't find any diamonds exposed to the air until I got about halfway through deep slate cave levels. So sort of down and around Y negative twenty, ish, and yeah, it was. It was more like caving in existing caves, but just spread out over a broader range. There was much less iron generating on the surface. I think they decreased the amount of iron that was just surface level around like Y40 to Y20, which is kind of where the peak of iron is. And it it seems a lot more balanced to me. I I have yet to see what it would look like in a less lush world, because honestly, generating lush caves in the, the single biome worlds, they are... Absolutely everywhere there's barely a patch of cave that isn't covered by them in some form or other, so it becomes a little bit overwhelming and that tends to be all you see in a more balanced world i don't I don't know how it's gonna how it's going to figure out, but it seemed a lot more like there was the potential for ore blocks to be behind the walls and and not exposed to the air as much, and the occasional vein would peek out giving you a chance for where to look One other thing they posted in the in the dev diary, one other thing they brought up was that there are going to be basically large veins appearing as a rare occurrence, almost like a a fossil does or a generated structure, something like that, where they're going to be infrequent. But once you find a cluster of terrain where there is a bunch of a certain type of ore all in one place, that might be a vein to follow and start digging around in that area, excavate more of the rock because there's going to be a, a higher you know generation threshold of diamonds or copper or whatever it is you're. You're looking for. I think they had a copper vein as an example in the video, but uh, that might be that might be something to look for later on. I don't think they're introducing that into these snapshots quite yet.
0: I like that idea. I like the idea of mostly finding things in like groups of two or four, you know, maybe six uh, for iron, for example. But then like stumbling upon something that's much larger, like twelve, you know, or or, or sixteen, <laughs> you know, and and having that be uh, even if you have those and then maybe decrease. The frequency of the other things, so you only find like one or two iron here and there. When you do find that that you know vein of sixteen, it's going to feel way more exciting. Yeah, you know, you're just absolutely. Like, oh, sweet! Totally set up for the next you know next little bit.
1: There's nothing more exciting than finding an eight vein of diamonds right now, uh, and so I think yeah, having having suddenly lucked into a windfall of a certain type of resource, I think is going to be really important to the caving experience after a while. And it's mm. the kind of thing where players aren't necessarily going to be able to identify it at first glance. They're going to be like, aha, that's one of those new ore clusters that they've added in. But it's just going to be like an unexpected amount. And it's going to be just like making whatever caving trip you find one of those a little more special.
0: So that, that's pretty cool. I, I like the philosophy behind that. So I'm realizing this week that I'm confused by the graphic that they've put out. Uh, right. I Understand the triangles. Like I get that pointy end of the triangle. Very few of that resources you know, wide end of the triangle, a lot of resources at that particular Y level. What do the big bars mean?
1: I think the big bars are that it's going to be consistent generation- and then plus a little bit extra when those triangles start to come into the equation, right? So um, oh. looking looking at the graphic, this is going to refer heavily to the graphic. So if you've not seen this and you're listening and you're confused by what I'm talking about here, then then please try and find the graphic on the, uh, the patch notes. But if you look at the black blobs uh, or, or the kind of black shapes that are meant to represent coal generation, mm-hmm. we're going to see... Uh, yeah, coal generating with reduced air exposure. Where it says that triangle, obviously, kind of peaks around uh, y ninety six ish, and then diminishes as you get further around. But then from y about one hundred and thirty upwards, there's going to be effectively like the same amount of coal that you could find at every elevation, more or less. So you'll 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 find. A more uniform amount of ore being applied to those areas where there's just a bar of material, and then the triangle is more like increased concentration as you go through certain levels, and hmm. you know further down you're going to find less coal and less coal until you hit uh, deep slate. So the same goes for for lapis generating. You're going to find a lot of it with no air exposure from you know b- below Y fifty six. It looks like, and then. You're going to find a few you know, nice veins of it in caves as you get towards Y0, but you're still going to find a decent amount of lapis if you go looking for it and start strip mining around those areas. You're going to find a lot more of it because of that extra bar of material.
0: Right. Okay. And I guess what's missing from this is the idea that you know, it's not showing a mountain biome, right? And yeah, yeah, we exactly. know how infrequent <laughs> mountain biomes are, are going to be from, or we have an idea how infrequent they're going to be from the bedrock beta from last week. So when they say there's an absolute metric ton of emeralds at like Y246 or something, I can't read, the print is very small. Um, You won. It's like, that could be your entire mountain peak because if it gets really pointy up at that, like, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of emeralds in the top of that mountain. I guess oh, yes. the issue there is in that that mountain is going to be very, very, Rare, right? Like that one mountain peak that you're going to find is going to be rare. And then when you think about how much coal is generating from like one thirty six to two thirty six idea, it's like yeah, that looks like a lot of coal. But then you think about how wide a mountain is going to be. It's like well, (laughs) it's a lot of coal, but you might end up having to dig through an awful lot of rock to get to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, just having looked at the increased ore generation in the mountains uh, on bedrock there is a ton of Emerald Ore. Like, you're used to Emerald Ore only generating in one block per vein. Right. Um, in those mountains, when you get up to Y256, I'm looking at a section of a screenshot that I have that I'll try and crop down the specific area I'm looking at because it's a pretty large mountain vista. But from here, I can see three or four veins of Emerald Ore exposed to the surface, some of which have multiple blocks in. Hmm. So... Yeah, there's, it's already, for a start, way more visible than it was, but is also going to be in larger groupings than just one block at a time. You're going to find a lot more emerald there. And I mean a lot. And yeah. it's still going to be unnecessary because you can still get the emeralds themselves from villagers. So mine it with silk-touch, you monsters. Outside of that, outside of that, yeah, of that, yeah. Um, ore distribution is is changing a whole bunch. And... I think it's going to be fun to see where the balance lies once we have a fuller picture of underground generation with the other biomes added in. I think I was, my, my view of it might have been skewed slightly by the fact that I was there for lush caves rather than for, you know, a, a long-term survival world. How do you feel about
0: the changes with OpenGL?
1: Now, I've noticed a couple of minor visual rendering issues while I was streaming and recording in this snapshot. Um... It runs fine for me. Um, there was just some odd shadows on the side of blocks as I passed. It was like, you know, rendering the the shading on those blocks kind of weirdly. Um, I don't know what this means in terms of what the the OpenGL renderer is capable of and how that's going to impact performance for various people. It, it seems to indicate in the changelog that people who aren't running on a certain specification—it's a fairly low minimum system requirements um aren't gonna you know be able to play minecraft if they don't have access to this and i think that's just more a compatibility thing than it is like okay performance is going to be on another level um so i'm i'm hoping that for most people it's not going to be a a hugely noticeable change for me it isn't i i feel like i would only have noticed that as something weird because i knew that opengl had been updated and so, uh, but by the way, I should I should point out that it says uh, the brand new tech of OpenGL 3.2. That is in huge like sarcasm quotes <laughs> because I'm pretty sure um, somebody posted in our Discord that OpenGL 3.2 has been around for years now, and the most recent release is a little bit higher than that. And this is more of like a compromise between what's accessible for people with older devices and what it allows Minecraft
0: to be capable of moving forward. Right? Did you get that impression? yes uh we'll run for fun and shepherd in our discord we're having a discussion about opengl um opengl 3.2 was released 11 years ago in 2009 (laughs) Uh, around the same time minecraft was released yeah yeah so we quote unquote updated yeah um Uh and then opengl 4.6 is the current release and even that is from 2017 so that's four years old Right. Um, uh huh. And so, you know, new is is relative, I guess, to Minecraft. Um, Shepard shared a quote from a, I believe it's Sergey. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who is a developer at, at Mojang said that and quote unquote, from their tweet, the main reason to use this specific version of OpenGL 3.2 core profile is that it's a good compromise between supporting older systems and improving the engine to give us better control over rendering. It's also the best choice to keep it working on older OSX systems. And that's from March 10th on on Twitter. And so it's not that they're trying to update it to the latest greatest it's that they're trying to achieve that balance of like, how can we bring Minecraft a little bit farther into the future from where it is now uh, and take advantage of probably some of the newer, better technology uh, that they might have to take advantage of with uh, Caves and Cliffs uh, and not uh, get rid of, you know, a huge part of their install base, which they would probably understand is running on older older systems. Uh, a lot of young people don't necessarily have new computers. They'll have, you know, older computers, perhaps the parents you know, hand me down that kind of thing or devices, you yeah. know, whether it's, you know, a uh, tablet or whatever. Um, I would argue that if you are using a device from 11 years ago, you're having trouble with your browser. <laughs> Forget Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh-huh. I don't know many people that are on a device that's 11 years old. I know some people that are on devices that are five to six years old, though. Uh, my iMac is from 2017. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, that that's that's a viable piece of my studio equipment it should not have you know trouble running Minecraft Um, I play on a PC now but so I haven't really run Minecraft on it in a long time but um, those are the kind of things that I think they want to make sure that for people that have invested in in their computers to run Java Minecraft uh, in the last five to six years that they don't cut those people out
1: yeah yeah and it's it's not something I'm have any kind of expertise on when it comes to the rendering side of things so i'm going to stumble my way through most of this um i recommend following xylefian on twitter because in between the random posts and and memeing there is a lot of really interesting info about the way minecraft runs and there was a couple of really interesting short videos about what it takes to render a scene in minecraft and like a lot of code kind of scrolling past and um Xylefian has actually been working on producing some test shader resource packs, and we should try and divorce the idea of what we think of as shaders in the Optifine sense of, like, a shader pack that changes a bunch of the environmental rendering, introduces, you know, realistic-ish lighting and, you know, waving water and waving leaves and that kind of stuff. But waving water and waving leaves were part of a blustery day resource pack that xylefian published for people to test and this wasn't an official part of things it's not going to be added to minecraft it was just this is what the community can potentially do with this if they want to mess around with how the shaders work so the idea was that if you loaded this resource pack up the leaves on the trees would be waving a little bit the surface of the water would be wavering it's still all of the same minecraft textures and there aren't you know immediately God rays from the sun and shadows being cast everywhere, but it's just a um, an an option for Minecraft to render things this way now. That I think had to be on the default rendering settings for the graphics card or for OpenGL itself. Again, this is where my my knowledge of this completely breaks down. So sorry if I'm just stumbling my way through most of this. But I found when I was trying out this blustery day resource pack, only the birch leaves were swaying when it seemed to be that all of the leaves in the world should have been and the water movement was rendered on the underside of the source block not on the top surface of the source block and other (laughs) people reported that it it worked fine for them so i'm not entirely certain what was different for me but there are you know a few um a few things that are potentially in need of tweaking there and again i'm not certain if it was something about my system and the drivers i have installed or something like that like it's a lot of uh behind the scenes stuff that has to be working in tandem for some of this stuff to really take effect i think but obviously they're interested in moving the technology forward a little bit whilst still being inclusive of players who've been working with older hardware for a while i think it's it's ultimately going to be a good thing and it also opens up the opportunity for more people to Introduce more environmental effects using resource packs instead of just changing textures and sounds. You can now. I think I've, I've noticed a couple of people in the community messing around with like adding fog to the overworld a little bit more, like mist kind of drifting through the trees in a forest instead of just render fog. And so, yeah, more environmental stuff like that seems possible with uh, with this version of OpenGL than it was previously. So that can only be a good thing.
0: Yeah. I'm excited for potentially like community driven shaders that are as easy to install as um, texture packs, which most people know how to do uh, and hopefully lighter on the system you know cuz most people they like oh i wish i could run shaders but they can't because they get 20 frames a second or something and it's really hard to play uh and i mean i'm the same if i'm on the citadel and i'm taking screenshots i use a, a shader to do that but like flying around is a little bit rough <laughs> because i have something crazy like volumetric lighting and like all the bells and whistles cuz it's not meant for me to play and it's meant for me to take a pretty screenshot and uh, at least not on my current setup um i'm not a big fan of wavy leaves and water sometimes i find that the constant wobble of it just looks like a wobble as opposed to wind to yeah me. um mm-hmm. but i that's just an example that xylefian put out there i love the idea of fog in the trees though um something that i was uh jealous of and i don't think i got a chance to mention on the show last week was um, when watching Jersey boy um when it snowed in bedrock the leaves in the taiga forest went silver and i was just like that's amazing i wish we had that in java <laughs> you know and and so having any kind of atmosphere into the forests uh like that even if it's not changing the actual block color but just putting like a, a low cloud or, or a fog kind of like screen like a, an alpha channel or something over over things uh would be really really cool uh, especially if creators get a chance to um control that based on biome based on y value perhaps uh i know that um Sildur's, uh shaders has a fabulous shader version so that you don't have to have optifine install you can use it with just the basic support from 116.5 mm-hmm. so it's i don't it i it's hard for me to understand and i think it's going to be one of those things where time will tell in terms of what the very smart people in the community are able to achieve uh, and what that means for the the average minecraft player and if you can do things that might, you know, um, enable your your game to do different things and create more atmosphere, which I think is one of the things that I I always miss when I turn off shaders. Uh, you know, I take a screenshot, post it on Twitter, and then I turn them off to play and stream, and I always kind of go, oh right, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, not that I mind. I mean, ten minutes later, I'm fine and I'm enjoying Minecraft. But there's that moment where you're like, oh, I miss the shadows. <laughs> like, I, I really miss that kind of stuff. Do you do you find that when you're flipping back and forth between playing uh, RTX with bedrock and then you go back to java like do you find like you really miss the the shading and the shadows and the lighting i feel
1: like it works differently for me with rtx because a lot of the surface level rtx stuff doesn't have that much of an impact on the overworld i i think it, it works a lot differently when you're caving and when you're using light differently and stuff like that but if you're on the surface if you're just building um aside from a few shadows and things like that it's Still fairly faithful to standard Minecraft graphics, just with like a little bit of a different rendering thing. I, I think if anything, it looks slightly different because it's bedrock edition to begin with. So the water looks a little bit different. Some of the textures render slightly differently, with maybe with more like vibrancy added here and there. But it's not like switching back and forth between shaders and standard graphics on Java, because the shader packs are designed to make the world feel a bit more cinematic. And I think the realism that RTX ends up providing is a different beast entirely. That's perhaps also why I've been so frustrated with people ending up comparing the two, um, because I don't think they're going for the same thing. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really miss that in the same sense, because to me, RTX still feels like an experiment than a way I would play Minecraft long term. Right. I think it's still, it's still like. A world where i can mess around with the colored lighting and all of the stuff that i've wanted to do visually for a while but then default java graphics is still like my home that's still where i go to kind of play play the game as it were um before we move on from this and talk about some of the new block changes um i found the person who was making mist using the shaders uh eldrian she is a french uh minecraft player and and um I think mainly dabbles in kind of command blocks in the more technical side of the game. I'll post a link to the Twitter post where she's showcasing some of the the mist shaders, and it's still all based, of course, on on Java graphics. It's not like extra particles floating through the world, but it's just like a a slight tweaking of the environment and some areas appearing a little bit lighter and darker, and and fog being introduced into some of these areas. And it, it's it's really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing
0: more stuff like this as people start to mess around with it um i know i know that some developers are doing uh an rtx thing for java you know like shader pack people are trying to 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 attempt that for the systems that can handle it i wonder if the move to opengl 3.2 will aid that or make it more complicated i imagine it would help it i would think
1: yeah i I personally wonder how long it's going to take Optifine to update at this point, because I feel like that's that's always the issue with uh, people who rely on Optifine for performance improvements. Obviously, there are more uh, possibilities out there, like Sodium and so forth, but I think a lot of people uh, wait for how long it's going to take with Optifine, and any time anything to do with rendering changes, Optifine is going to take a little bit longer to adapt. So, uh, so we'll see. Um, Let's talk about some of these new blocks, though, because for a start, we have directional placement for natural deep slates, which I think we're both very happy about. Yeah, um, it's it's really nice to have. The new top texture is still perfectly usable for what I want, even though it has changed slightly. Uh, what I really wanted to use deep slate for was a natural stone transition between the stone that we have from you know standard caves and then the rougher stone textures like basalt and tough and blackstone. It provides that nice medium gray going through to the darker ones and also a medium texture to introduce some of those more varied textures for the other materials. And now that's directional. We can use that in walls as well as floors and various other bits and pieces. So I'm sure you were happy about this as well, Joel.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like I liked the texture change. I like the directional change is great. I think that that's the kind of thing. It's just a good compromise between getting what Mojang wants out of the cave generation in which it doesn't look as noisy if you have a different top texture to a side texture and in natural mm-hmm. generation, but then giving the players the opportunity to place it much like a log uh, and then get a different you know side of things. I feel like it operates more like a wood block than it does a log block because, correct me if I'm wrong, but... It doesn't work like a log where you can control the the textures precisely it's like you're going to be stuck with one side being vertical and the other side being horizontal or vice versa
1: i think it does still place directionally based on like the six axis because okay uh I, i i got the the sort of stripes in it there are like very faint kind of striations in it i managed to get those placed vertically but i was having to attach them to the side of other blocks to do that Right. So I think I think you can still rotate that top texture, which is, again, going to be making it a lot more versatile.
0: Yeah. 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 You can do it. Like, think about how I mean, it's more dramatic and obvious, obviously, with things like, um, wow, obvious, obviously. Welcome to Monday podcasting, folks. Sometimes you just have (laughs) to call those out so that people don't do it later Uh, with glazed terracotta. The cool patterns that you can get by placing it rotating your character 90 degrees placing it again etc etc you could get some really cool texture variation with deep slate now doing the exact same thing if you could control it that way because one of the things that I find very frustrating with things like planks is that the direction of the planks always run like either east west or north south depending on which way it is Um, and you can't change that you know and I find that challenging Um, whereas with deep slate if you can control that then it means like if you're running down a road and you're using deep slate because the deep slate texture does have a direction to it, sometimes it makes more sense for me to have that texture running along the road as opposed to perpendicular to it. Hmm. But yeah, I, I yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. I think it's it's a really good uh, addition. We've also now got cracked deep slate bricks and tiles, uh, which are obviously nice to have. They're useful for detail, and I want to highlight pearlescent moon doing a makeover of a stronghold using deep slate bricks and adding in the cracked ones the way you would typically find cracked uh deep slate in cracked stone brick rather sorry in a in a an overworld stronghold um and also like adding in lush cave elements to that so remaking the entire sort of portal room but using uh deep slate materials and and moss blocks and stuff like that kind of maybe mocking up an example of what it would look like if a stronghold generated with those materials further down in the world, which I think a lot of people have been asking for. I'm not certain if we're going to see an update to stronghold generation in this update. It might be a little bit uh, too much of an, an, an extra thing. But I really like that as a an addition. And I I think the cracked tiles feel a little bit more subtle, but they do add a lot to varying that tile texture when it doesn't really have a whole lot of other stuff that feels like it has the same shapes in it um so i think it's nice to have some some variety in that texture alone so that we can we can work in a few areas where you know if it's around a furnace then maybe natural cracks are formed because of the intense heat and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. i think it's 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 good to add stuff like that into the palette and i was expecting stuff like this to come down a little bit further down the line if not this update then maybe in future so they're they're really getting behind deep slate in a big way which i i like a lot as a builder
0: I, uh, I haven't checked and I just, it just dawned on me now, they don't have stairs and slabs in the basalt blocks, right? They're all just no. still full, full blocks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All, all um, full blocks, including yeah. the
1: smooth basalt that they added around geodes now. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I feel like the only thing that I'm still missing from the tile is that shift in grout that I mentioned before. I, I'm, I'm still mm-hmm. hoping that they make some adjustments there so that it meshes just a little bit better, uh, with, with the other blocks in its, in its block family, I guess we're going to call it, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, more cracked stuff is good. Um, I, I've been having a lot of inventory issues lately, so I'm still wondering how all of this is going to go when we go to play. <laughs> you know, yeah. gonna, the Shulker box islands are going to just be massive.
1: Shulker box is full of bundles, man. I'm calling it right now. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> But uh, with that, let's quickly move on to chunk mail before we get into the main discussion about lush caves today. Uh, if you'd like to email the show and potentially get your email read, the s- email address to... Send your email to is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Once again, that's spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. This first one comes in from Jay Juggler and is a follow up on our discussion about the Minecraft Dungeons arcade game. The subject is arcade resurgence. Ahoy there, Pix and Joel. Prior to the pandemic, I was an arcade regular and part time pinball machine cleaner. Arcades have seen a huge boom in the last few years. My thinking is that it's in response to the trend towards smaller handheld gaming devices. As screens get smaller and multiplayer takes place on separate screens, playing on a cabinet with your friends seems special again. Arcades also give physical experiences that you're not easily able to fit into your own house, such as pinball and driving games with moulded cockpits. I would. I too was surprised by this news item, and I wonder if Minecraft Dungeons will be a success as an arcade game. Anyway, that's just my two chunks, J Juggler. <laughs> Again, the the creative sign-offs keep coming. I'm I'm always impressed by them. But um, yeah, we have we have a a, a licensed pinball machine cleaner <laughs> writing in to let us know that arcades are alive and well. That's good to know
0: i uh i think i mentioned pinball last week maybe i didn't but uh i'm glad that they brought it up because yeah like those are the kind of physical things that i think arcades still still have um i, I don't have a lot to add uh but i want to give a shout out to Ali l and ferg 5000 great username by the way uh also writing in with dungeons arcades cabinet responses uh Allie l said something along the lines of cabinets uh being in development before the pandemic, perhaps by another company or partner. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's being released as if they're really, maybe Mojang didn't have as much of a say in it as, as they, you know, as us maybe assume. Um, and that arcades, uh, the physical locations, can be appeal- appealing to parents of uh, often short attention span youngsters. Uh, so they're you're not uh-huh. investing in big consoles and yet another DLC that they play for five minutes. And you can take them to the arcade for an afternoon and they're kind of done for the next couple of months, you know. Um, Ferg5000 uh, mentioned that a lot of arcade-like experiences in the U.S. anyway are combined with big facilities like bowling billiards in addition to arcades and ski ball and laser tag like there's these big facilities that like fun zones they're not just like an arcade yeah um yeah i can i can say anecdotally in canada especially in in um halifax anyway not now but several years ago one of the biggest things was uh bars that had a room that they weren't using or a basement would often put in pinballs or arcade machines uh, for adults. So it was not a kid situation. It was a, come have a beer and then go play some pinball. Uh, and, uh, and that was kind of a fad for a little while, but I think it just became too crowded or, or just not feasible to keep up financially. I'm not sure what the maintenance on those machines is like maybe, you know, Jay Juggler can fill us in, but, but yeah, that's, um, interesting, interesting response to that.
1: So brief tangent on the subject of pinball, those machines are fascinating. Um, And in a digital age, it's really cool to see something that's so physical. Um, If you haven't been following the Slow Mo Guys uh, YouTube channel, uh, Gavin from the Slow Mo Guys did a really awesome video demonstrating how a pinball machine works in slow motion. And he had a physical, I think it was like a Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory pinball game (laughs) that he, you know, opens the cabinet up, takes the glass off, slides it all out and films sections of it with like a probe lens. It is awesome well worth the watch just for a little bit of understanding about how something like that works. And in, in an age when you'd imagine like, Oh, it's a circuit board or something that controls the whole thing. No, it's all physical. It's all wired in. There's all of these kind of like valves and solenoids and stuff that are, you know, triggering different effects as it goes. And the scoreboard itself is digital, but the way it's, you know, inputting scores and, and letting you know what's happened, like all of those components are, are physical. It's it's really quite fascinating stuff. So I can see why they need cleaning <laughs> because, oh boy, there's a there's a lot going on there. But um, yeah, I totally get the point of the the email here. It's like home gaming can feel a little bit isolated. And I, I was pointing out the issues I was having playing couch co-op Minecraft Dungeons, where if one player wants to open their inventory, it takes up the entire screen for the other player and you're sort of out of the game all of a sudden. And so... Playing on multiple screens kind of seems like the solution to that, but then it becomes a bit of a like uh, a, a different experience for everybody if you're all on separate devices, and it doesn't feel as social. But I, I like the the camaraderie of having uh, an arcade thing, and maybe it's slightly the pandemic talking of thinking, like, in a room with other people? Impossible. But I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it seems like a fun day out to be meeting up with friends at an arcade instead of, you know, playing multiplayer games from from your own homes. Um, and I think my experience with arcades in the UK is just a little outdated or perhaps they're not as frequent here as they are elsewhere. But, um, yeah, the last time I remember going to a a proper arcade experience was attached to a bowling alley. And it was one of those cases where you get disappointed as a child because a lot of the machines are more focused around like gambling and that kind of stuff. They're more like slot machines than they are Mm -hmm. proper arcade games and as a kid you don't always have the money for that kind of stuff as well so like yeah it's it's a it's a different world a lot of the time but i can imagine people really enjoying stuff like this it we may not be the audience for it necessarily but i imagine once those arcade cabinets are out there well, they'll find some some interest and maybe the the card swapping mechanic and stuff like that will
0: start to get them a bit of attention we'll see Soren in our chat said that they have a membership to a a facility like that, you know, obstacle course, go karts, laser tag, you know, VR games, that kind of stuff, as well as normal arcade games. The thing that always turned me off about arcade games was like the the coin op, like just pumping in change and, you know, just watching your money vanish uh i uh i would wonder if if arcades have switched to like kind of that kind of a membership thing where like you can just play for as long as you want similar to like netflix you can watch as much as you want you're just paying for a monthly membership and the people are just counting on the businesses are just counting on you're just not there all the time because you can't be you know um be an interesting way to to look at it um the other thing that i wanted to mention um uh alistair who i I mentioned last week that has a bunch of home arcade cabinets one of his street fighter cabinets it's not really a cabinet it's like a tabletop or coffee table replacement so similar to like playing air hockey you're playing street fighter you each have your own small monitor and it's flat so like like battleship like i'm looking at a right side up monitor for me but the, the but um you know alistair's monitor would be upside down to me because he'd be facing it. So it's kind of like a head to head. So it doesn't have a lot more social interaction. Like you're facing one another, like you're facing off, but then you're playing yeah. the game downward. I haven't actually done it, but um, I've seen photos of it and it, it looks like it's a really interesting take on a, on a home arcade. I went to a,
1: a bar once a while back that had a Pong table that was like that. There was yeah. obviously the controls there were fairly simple. And I think most of the time we were just using it as a coffee table but it it had like a a thick sheet of perspex over it. And then in the table, there was Pong. And if you wanted to play it, you could just throw in a couple of coins and and play against the person you were having a beer with.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Next email comes in from Gundar H. Stryker, a landscape artist in our Discord. Hardware or optimization issues. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I've been playing on realms uh, for a few months now in which the world has been set to amplified during creation playing on this server, I noticed I got significant frame stutters when crossing certain chunk borders. This is due to the amount of blocks that must be rendered in an amplified world. And of course, it is expected. There was a warning message at the creation screen telling the user that amplified requires a beefier setup. At the time, I was playing on an older computer that had a GTX 970 graphics card. It's a card from 2014 for clarity. I blamed my old rig for any performance issues I had. I even had frame drops below 60 whenever I used shaders, which lined up with the amplified performance. What was alarming to me, however, is that after I got a new computer recently featuring a 3070 card from NVIDIA, I was still getting stutters in the same world, in exactly the same chunk border spots. What this got me thinking about was the new mountain generation and world height in caves and cliffs. I was, I would see, it would seem the amount of blocks in the snapshot worlds is probably about the same or more than an amplified world, which would mean they would need to do a lot of optimization to ensure smoother gameplay. What are your thoughts around this topic? And how do you think Mojang will tackle performance in these larger worlds? Don't take things for granted. Gundar H. Stryker. B.S. The screen freeze stutter with the PC, uh, an older PC is two to three seconds, uh, and with a newer PC, it's less than a second. So while the hardware helped, it didn't solve the issue entirely. Hmm. I- Yeah,
1: you're, you're the one that has more issues with uh, the the frame rate side of things lately, or stuttering at least when you're, when you're playing howdy.
0: Minecraft. Yeah, do I. Um, so this is already a frame problem with my computer. It does happen in other games other than Minecraft. So it's not solely a Minecraft problem. I find yep. it way more prominent in Minecraft, though, uh, and throwing a new CPU at the problem in the fall did not solve it. Uh, I so I'm pretty concerned for a couple of reasons. One, I'd like to continue to play and consume Minecraft and share it and stream it in the way that I do currently without having to beef up my machine again. Um, granted, it's part of my living now. It's still it doesn't feel good to have to update you know, your PC to play Minecraft, Um, my other concern is that I operate two servers, uh, potentially involving cost in improving those on the hardware side. Um, the Citadel is not too bad, but like we've got 20 plus people on the infinity cove server that I run through Patreon, uh, and at certain point you can't just keep throwing money at servers because then it becomes a loss right like it it does it doesn't work out it doesn't become worth the the effort uh so we've seen some improvements with fabric along with lithium and phosphorus uh performance mods therein um but it makes it playable it doesn't make it buttery smooth for for everyone um i have absolutely no idea how mojang will tackle performance Uh, however it has to be at the forefront of their thinking given the massive changes that they're making to the world i remember when johnny you and i were talking about like do you think they're going to increase world height here's the math on how many new blocks that is and we kind of like our brains kind of went you know (laughs)
1: like it's just Mm -hmm. i don't know
0: i don't know how they're going to do it i i feel like they have to be looking at addressing it somehow perhaps the open gl 3.2 is part of that and it's going to help a lot in those situations um, I think it's bananas that Gundar H. Striker's new system with a thirty seventy still have blips with playing Minecraft. I know you have a brand new machine uh, that has a, a lot of horsepower behind it. Um, how does this kind of experience like happen in your world? Do you do you have that kind of stuff in the snapshots? Are you seeing any kind of blips uh, with the different versions of the game?
1: I am not. Um, I have RTX thirty eighty. I have a Ryzen nine fifty nine hundred X. I have some pretty like pretty very very recent gear um i think cpu and ram are going to play a significant role uh, for client side stuff on the server i expect a lot of it has to do with the server performance not client side performance again i'm not an expert on any of this and i don't know what impact opengl 3.2 might have on this like the focus as they've explained it uh in the change log, seems to be much more on allowing customization of visual effects and programmable shaders but that might just be part of it maybe some of the the newer technology there is going to help um i think you know as a few folks are saying in our chat right now it's mostly down to java single threadingness and (laughs) and a few issues with that because minecraft needs cpu speed um and individual cores need to be pretty fast so um yeah it's it's going to be down to the server host i think down to the type of hardware that they're hosting the server on um, if this was with realms, then again, I don't know what kind of technology goes into hosting realms. It might be less customizable than it might be with a, a different dedicated server host. And personally, like I would assume there is a significant difference between loading and rendering when it comes to regions of the world. right? So in an amplified world, you're going to have to render a lot of blocks because the player can stand on a mountaintop and look at all of these huge cliff faces and valleys below. So at that point, I think the GPU is going to be doing a lot of work. If you're in caves, the game only has to really render what the player can see. And there are going to be a lot of hidden blocks that the game client doesn't need to worry about. There's a lot of faces that it can just ignore because they're all, you know, stuffed behind the wall, as it were. And while the game's logic might still have to take into account all of the other stuff that's going on in that chunk, you probably have to render less. that is my assumption. I don't know for certain, but yeah, I've not really noticed a great deal. I haven't played in an amplified world since ages ago, so I haven't tried it with this most recent set of snapshots, but I've not noticed really any performance issues that were you know gonna significantly impact gameplay frame stuttering, that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't seem to happen for me um i will I will keep an eye out for it, and it may be that I've been just so excited about the features that i've overlooked any kind of little stutters and things like that but yeah i think it's going to come down to how well your hardware is handling things client-side and how good the server-side hardware is at keeping up with everything as it loads i'd be interested to hear if gundar h striker has any feedback on running an amplified world on their own pc like from Mm -hmm you know, a, a single player world as opposed to a server and if the same issue occurs. And if it does, then that may be more of an issue with the the terrain itself and, and and Minecraft itself rendering that stuff. And obviously you'd imagine that hosting it on a server means that all you have to do is log in and so you're taking some of the load off your computer from hosting and playing the world at the same time. But there could potentially be some some
0: differences there. So it'll be interesting to see what the... The, the differences are between those. And something that I've learned about, you know, PCs and what might be the problem with mine, which I don't have a way to troubleshoot, is that it could be the uh, like a combination of hardware and the PC not liking one another. Like, you know, your motherboard, you might have enough RAM, you might have enough CPU power, you might have a great graphics card, but if your motherboard is slow or broken or whatever, then then that might be the bottleneck. Uh, and I don't know enough, I'm not technical enough to to know the the difference. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm curious about um, The way things are moving forward now anecdotally as we move into the discussion about the lush cave generation i did pop in just very quickly before the show because we had this technical email and i can say that on my older mac uh normally in snapshots previous i've had to uh, load fabric in order to get in there and build and mess around with like new blocks and kind of see what's going on in order to even play without getting a headache I was flying around very quickly um, uh, for a few minutes in uh, spectator mode in the lush cave generation and did not notice the same kind of uh, chugginess. I don't think it was like 60 frames a second, but I was not getting any kind of like stutters or or weird things. So again, that could be just like, you know, the the slow progress of the OpenGL, you know, combined with a bunch of other things. It could also have something to do with the single biome thing. I don't know. Um, but, um, But yeah, I... I'm hoping that going forward, that performance will will improve and require a little bit less um, from, from systems. Um, speaking of though, uh, time to talk uh, lush green things, I think. And uh, I, like I said, I don't have a huge amount of first-hand gameplay in lush caves this week. Uh, so I'll defer to you, Johnny, for a lot of what I know you've been sharing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get into the snapshots, like like you, taking advice from you, I want to experience this in a survival gameplay thing so fingers crossed that this week we get lush caves into the regular biome gens um i'm hoping that we get more information about the azalea trees i still find that kind of stuff confusing i didn't find the addition of of the lush cave biomes to really clarify Mm -hmm. anything other than oh look azalea tree go down but it doesn't matter if you've got an entire biome filled with the stuff that weren't hard to find anyway um they look absolutely fantastic even though I know mm-hmm. they're everywhere at present. I I love the look of the pockets of light from the glow berries. It's so atmospheric. Uh, I can kind of imagine what this is going to look like and how special it's going to feel because currently we're seeing these um, cave updates in bubbles. Like here's the dripstone, here's the deep ones, here's the cheese caves, here's the lush caves. But once they start combining all of this stuff, I feel like we're going to start to really get a handle on what this update is going to feel like. And, um, I'm looking forward to it. How, what was your first impression of getting under the ground?
1: I mean, exactly the same. It was, it was nice and easy to find a lush cave because they were everywhere. So the first cave you go into is just covered in moss and vines and everything else. But yeah, I, I think I've been spoiled now by playing a world that was entirely lush cave biomes. I, I, I would almost be fine with them being everywhere. It's, it's almost giddy exploring a biome like that for the first time and, and feeling such an impactful change to the underground. And I'm sure we'll appreciate like a more balanced set of caves when it arrives, but it's just fun exploring a cave. And like Henrik was saying in the dev diary video and it not being that same cave you've seen before. And I feel like dripstone caves, while they are a, a pretty important change, don't necessarily have the same vibe as Lush Caves because it's just adding additional stone types and stone formations, really. It's not this complete transformation of the landscape into something a bit more lush and green. So, yeah, I, I had a a wonderful time exploring Lush Caves. the The first impression they give is certainly a good one. And I think the challenge became finding a way to survive at that stage because... Uh, I I wanted to experience the snapshot in survival but since wood on the surface was limited to just those azalea trees and there were no passive mob spawns I didn't really have any food so I ended up making do with there's enough grass around and there's grass in lush caves themselves, it generates when you spawn more moss as well so you could break all of that down for wheat seeds and then eat glow berries in the meantime and then I was making a composter to make bone meal out of all of the moss blocks and that was that was more or less the only way i could survive unless you know a zombie gave me a carrot or a potato or something like that and i could grow that instead but it was um it was tough going as far as the survival challenge of it um it was it was a little bit tricky but outside of that once i really got going and i got some some iron made enough for a shield and could fight some skeletons that kind of thing then it became a little bit easier to get bone meal. And after that, I was I was off to the races. But I think just in terms of the aesthetics of Lush Caves, like nailed it first try. I'm sure these have gone through various iterations behind the scenes, but in terms of the blocks and stuff that they've introduced to us as players, they haven't really made any tweaks to them since we saw the blocks themselves introduced in a creative format in the, in the creative menu. Um, it still just looks phenomenal. Every time you go into a cave that's decorated that way, it looks gorgeous.
0: I had forgotten that you could eat glowberries until I watched your video. I was like, oh yeah
1: <laughs> it's like they're they're a good light source, but uh, yeah no they they are they are really nice uh as as far as lighting up the caves but then having some emergency food. The problem with them is they fill up the same amount of um you know hunger and saturation as sweet berries from tiger berry bushes do so they're not a good food source no, <laughs> i mean yeah they, it's it's nice to have them around they're good in a pinch but if you've taken any damage and you're trying to regenerate health you'll need like 10 or so glow berries for it to really kind of build back up again and i almost wish that could be tweaked but i, I think it's also part of the challenge mm-hmm. Glowberries don't really and they they also replant the vines like you can't Gather the vines, even with shears or silk touch or anything. You you have to replant them and grow them using glowberries. So there's um, yeah, th- there's a balance there that I think they're doing enough right now. But uh I, I think the the cool part about having glowberries around everywhere, and the the cool part about exploring the snapshot in survival was there were fewer mobs than usual in the stone layers, at least because glowberries lit up half of the caves before I got there, and by the time I was needing glowberries to survive and picking them off and darkening the environment around me, I had enough coal for torches that I could just replace them with a torch on the ground, and it made survival a little bit easier. But then that changed again when I got to deep slate levels and the caverns start to kick in because the glowberries in the ceiling aren't dangling low enough to illuminate the floor. So that is naturally just based on the size of the environment actually providing different levels of difficulty as you explore downwards through a lush cave i think that's a a really fun thing i don't know how much verticality is going to be involved if you find a lush cave at you know y32 if it's still going to be there at y negative 32 but it can potentially be a, a really fun change to go from a slightly easier environment to a much harder one simply by nature of how much mob spawning is being blocked
0: i did notice that when i was traveling through a couple of the larger caves actually above um y zero and and noticing that i was trying to look at the other things i was looking for drip leaf i was looking for moss and i was like i can't see anything because all the glow berries are at the top And uh, I didn't think to bone mail anything. I was just kind of looking around. And I wonder, not everywhere, but I'm wondering if in lush caves, if something like a sea pickle or something different with the same function in the little rock pools would be good to give the floor not enough illumination to block light or to block um, mob spawn, excuse me, um, but enough to show you where the floor is. Um, cause I found it again, like super dark. And I was just like, well, I can see the ceiling, but like the, the ceiling is not where I'm standing. <laughs> like, I would kind of want to know where I'm going.
1: I think that's where glow lichen is kind of coming in. I feel like glow lichen mm-hmm. is almost not occurring enough because mm-hmm. that's a mm-hmm. light level of seven, which doesn't block mob spawns, but still right. shows you enough of the cave around you. And that may again be down to lush cave generation overriding some of that, but I definitely found it here and there. It's not, it's not completely gone from from lush caves so maybe just just pockets of light here and there can pop up and show you what's going on down there it's uh it definitely when you get into deep slate caves now it's a it's a much darker environment and that in itself has a, a lot of atmosphere to it it's just <laughs> difficult seeing your way around some of the time yeah
0: uh, i'm wondering um how they're going to, like or if they're going to address that i mean i, I again like i'm I'm anxious to see things, but then I'm also at the same time probably forgetting a little bit about that, that nice difficulty scale and making the deep, dark parts of the world a little bit harder, a little bit scarier. Kind of like Moria, you know, from Lord of the Rings. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. I do love the way that they look around abandoned mineshafts. Uh, they really oh, yes. add a cool, <laughs> cool vibe. Uh, I noticed in your, I think in your video and also in one of the screenshots you shared here in our live chat, like there is an exposed spider spawner I've only ever encountered them in enclosed spaces. I can't imagine the horror of spiders like <laughs> being able to spawn on all six sides of this spawner at any time uh, and, in all places. Just nuts.
1: And this, this is why people have been writing in for a couple of weeks asking for some sort of solution for ranged lighting, because they don't want to encounter a situation like that. You also can't climb the glowberry vines, so you have to find your way up to that spider spawner whilst it's... Throwing cave spiders at you from a distance, yeah. So there's there's a there's a lot going on. I, I've really got to hand it to the devs for choosing to continue mine shaft generation through those larger cave areas. We saw a bunch of that in the last couple of snapshots, but now with the extra biomes around it as well, it works so well. I think just having a bunch of oak wood to contrast and and like to sit next to all of those extra green blocks, it looks very nice. But I think just having chains hanging from the ceiling or pillars coming up from the floor allows those mineshafts to continue into these different spaces and become almost like the centerpiece for a certain type of cave. Or to be hanging out near the ceiling and then it's something you only notice when you look up and, you know, 50 blocks above you, there is an abandoned mine shaft in the ceiling of this lush cave. It's It's a very, very cool vibe. And I think, you know, what they've really done well is contribute to the atmosphere of caving in such an exciting way when you go down into deep slate caverns and there is a lush cave there it feel it has like a journey to the center of the earth feel where it's suddenly this this sort of forgotten valley of lush greenery somehow existing down there and once you find lava lakes with lush cave terrain around it same thing you know suddenly the terrain has so many more opportunities to it and so many more exciting things to find and and lush caves are a really good example of this i i'm i'm with you on azalea right now the azalea bushes the little kind of shrubby ones still feel like like are we going to be able to grow these like saplings are we not do we just have to make do with the azalea leaves that we find on the surface or is there some way to reproduce those? Like, I presume that stuff is still coming or we'll have some sort of definitive answer for that once Caves and Cliffs comes out, but it's still not got its own wood. Whether or not that happens, you know, I'm I'm kind of fine with it considering how much other stuff we've got, but it would be nice to know one way or the other. Oakwood seems like a placeholder for now, but yeah. if it is just oakwood with azalea leaves around it, then it would be nice to at least grow it because I... I like the azalea leaves a lot. I think they're a really nice addition to the palette and having mm. those flowering leaves is is also really attractive.
0: If azalea wood was to have a different color, are we still leaning on like something lighter than birch? Yeah, I think so.
1: I think lighter maybe moving towards a kind of light reddish white. I, I'm thinking more along the lines of um like flowering cherry type mm-hmm. of woods personally, yeah. but mm-hmm. um yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways it could go, a lot of different options. It could be like a a slightly more pink kind of along the lines of jungle wood, but maybe taken in a slightly different direction to match up with the the flowers from the tree. And we know that I think acacia woods isn't really anything like what acacia wood in Minecraft is like. So they can take the name of the tree and then still take some creative liberties with the wood it produces. I I just want to see something a little bit different if they're going to add new wood types to it. I think we've had some slightly darker and more saturated woods with the nether update. I think now is maybe the time to explore the opposite direction.
0: I'm frantically looking on Twitter for the post. I can't give credit to whoever posted it, but I think I was tagged in it. I can't remember. Someone was trying to get, you know, my attention or just sharing it. And it was like, we should have, you know, cherry wood. And I can't remember the other one, but it was basically like a really dark, like a dark gray wood um added to the game and it was just someone had done like a custom and it was like pink leaves and kind of like a really really light subtle like red like pinky white uh log for the cherry and then the other wood was like really dark it was like a charcoal looking type thing uh, along the same tone as like deep slate that, like that kind of a gray and um it just get, kind of made me think like you know if azalea wood was gonna have a color having it be something floral you know like a pink or um, or something like that would, would fit. I think that would be, that would be interesting. I can't say that I'd be rushing to build a pink house, but, um, Mm -hmm. that like I, I, you know, something. yeah, oh no, a lot of people would, an absolute, like a lot of people would. Um, and I think it would also go with like, you think about how the warm tones in, in like a cherry wood would go with things like, you know, terracotta and, uh, I mean, even, um, dark Oak is very saturated. Like it's, it's a ruddy Brown, you know, like it's, it's, it's a ruddy color. And, and I think that that could be kind of interesting, but like i'm I'm so a little confused/ slash, you know, curious how they're going to handle um, the azalea stuff, because the azalea saplings don't look like saplings. They look like full blocks, right? They're, they're not yeah. the same sort of sort of deal that we have with normal saplings in the game. So I'm curious how they're going to do that. I mean, I'm happy that they're that different. I think it's great don't, I'm not a criticism. I just think its I think it's just really cool and I'm intrigued, but then I also don't have all the answers, so um, I'm curious to see where this this goes. Uh, I, I like the rocky pools a lot. Um, I've seen them look a little bit wonky when they're like the, on the transition from like a, not, like a, the edge of a cave into the rocky pools. But I've also seen some larger sections of rocky pools that look fantastic. They really have that cool, like trickle down look to them and uh, I can see what they're going for. And when it's actually, it was the development video, the diary that we shared earlier that made me realize, oh, that's exactly what they're going for. I see it now because I just, I wasn't quite catching everything. Because again, what I was watching from the snapshot were all survival um, video playthroughs and my own little bit of uh, exploration. And so everything was very dimly lit. You know, like you didn't see for miles because someone turned on um, night vision because I wasn't watching that content. Um, but yeah, like i, I I'm impressed. Uh, i'm I'm hoping they're not as rare as mountain biomes. Like I'm hoping they're going to be more frequent, you know, than than you know, I, I would hate for these things to be so rare that they're hard to find,
1: yeah. I think they're definitely going to be more frequent because these are one of the few biomes that are going to be underground, whereas the surface obviously has a lot of different biomes already. So you're going to find a lot more of these branching out, I think. and regardless of how frequent they are, it's still going to feel like an event running into them because generation is so different. So I, th- I think you're going to find a lot of different variations. And once you've got one moss block, you can basically start your own lush cave somewhere else as well because of how easy it is to grow the stuff once you have a bit of bone meal. So there is potential for... Like I was, I was worried that when we get full world generation and lush caves are included... You're gonna find a lush cave that sort of cuts off halfway through one of those big caverns, and you'd think, oh, what a, like what a missed opportunity for this entire ca- cave to just be like a self-contained biodome almost of lush cave. And then you realize, oh, with a bit of bone meal, I could make that myself. And suddenly, the player agency really starts to kick back in again. Um, and it you know it'd be uh, maybe less immersive to find at first, but makes a a project for the player a little bit later on um i totally agree about the uh, the the presence of water in these lush caves by the way it feels very natural the layers of clay already expand on what we've seen from aquifers and having different water levels but in a much more immediately staggered way um it's a, it's a lot shallower the the changes in in elevation and it makes terrain less maneuverable when you're dealing with mobs or other challenges and if you're running from skeletons or zombies or whatever that are chasing you you find yourself getting stuck in water and tripping over things and suddenly it becomes difficult terrain for you and that tempts you to try and use some of the terrain to your advantage hop on those drip leaf plants and keep running you know there's there's a little bit of stuff there that becomes a practical resource for the player especially further down in the world where things get a bit more dangerous so i think the terrain adapts in a lot of ways to different styles of gameplay very well and i think that's a, a really fun thing i kept finding myself when i just wanted to like take a moment and think i i absent-mindedly do this a lot in minecraft i'll just like hop on a block because i'm like one block higher and i can just kind of like stop for a second and pause on this block like I'm sitting down on a chair or something like that. I found myself doing that onto the big drip leaf plants. And then a couple of seconds later, (laughs) I'd get tilted off. And that was that was always a wake up call of like, oh, yeah, I can't just stand on these things. And that's an interesting dynamic. That's the the first time I'd really experienced those in survival without setting it up myself. And it was just a funny moment to think, oh yeah, that's how that block works. And I need to remember to to do that. Otherwise it's going, to, uh, it's going to catch me out one of these days. I do find it funny that like, now that we're seeing lava generating at the bottom of the world again, you can't really have drip leaf growing naturally in lava because I feel like that'd be an, a naturally generated parkour course that you'd want to make sure you got every jump right. Mm. And I expect mm-hmm. some people will be using those Quite heavily, but I think you have to grow the drip leaf from something. So I'm not certain how that's going to work out gameplay-wise. But yeah, just just seeing these generating in the world for the first time is really quite fascinating.
0: From my brief exploration of that content in the snapshot, where they just gave us the lush cave blocks, you have to grow drip leaf on clay, and yeah. it has to or be in, or in water. water, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, does it have to be in water or, or like water or or clay? Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. Clay, so,
1: clay is technically supposed to be like a, a slightly wetter block for it. So, right, I, I right. guess, like if it, it yeah. generates around water, so it can pop out of water if it's specifically on clay blocks. Yeah.
0: Nice. Makes sense. I, I feel that um one of the information that I'm missing from Drip Leaf is like, I know you can bone meal to make make them grow taller. Did you spend enough time in, in, in and around Drip Leaf for it to start growing around you? Because I'd like to go live in a lush cave. Like, that's kind of like the first thing I want to try and do. And if I'm in that cave for a long time, I don't want the drip leaf to touch the ceiling and I don't want the cave vines to touch the floor Uh, Mm because eventually you just won't be able to see for green. While fun for a minute, I imagine that would be very annoying uh, because it's something I find very difficult and uh, annoying from a design wise about normal vines is that they grow everywhere unless you string certain sections and try to make them not grow. Uh, So it's hard to control. Have you found anything with the length of time that you spent in the lush caves? You know, have you found anything like that happening? Uh no, I haven't. I think the
1: the drip leaf stuff only grows if players grow it using bone meal um That's the only thing that changes the height of that stuff, and then the cave vines have an age like kelp, so they're not gonna grow down past a certain point anyway and I don't think there's ever been a an environment which is just so overgrown that once you get to it, it's just all over the place. It's, it's not like a jungle where it's going to get so... You can't see the wood for the trees with all of the plant life. I think they've right. done a fairly good job of making it feel like a, a good adaptation to the environment.
0: The other question I had about uh, Lush Caves was, do moss blocks cushion your fall like a hay block?
1: You know, I don't think they do. Um, which... I don't know maybe they should I get I get the sense that even though moss is like a full block like a meter thick block I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be a meter of moss in so much as it is just moss covering stone Mm. and in that watery environment you'd find moss growing and it'd be fairly slick and then it'd it'd be more slippery than it would be cushiony right so I, I get the sense that maybe it's not meant to break your fall in that way like you know, a dense canopy of foliage might, if you're falling through a, the the canopy of a forest. I think it's going to be much more about, you know, just that that feeling of like, you know, plant life growing in the dark and and surviving on what nutrients it can get from the water and the rocks around it. It's it's not necessarily going to be as as fluffy as all of that, you know. Hmm.
0: And last point, what is the best tool for mining moss?
1: See, this is an interesting one because I didn't think there was one at first. It turns out it's an axe. um, Really? Which, yeah, it it is weird. And I, I wasn't entirely sure because I was thinking of moss like a dirt type block. So I was using a shovel on it at first. And then I realized that if you punch it, it broke at the same speed as a shovel and it breaks pretty fast just with any tool. So I was kind of surprised that it had an efficient tool to begin with. But then if you break it with an axe, like an iron axe basically instamined it. And I don't know if that's going to change, but it's also pretty quick to gather a lot of it, which was good for me because I was composting it at the time. But I think it's uh, I think it's good that it has an efficient tool if you're going to be gathering huge swaths of it, which I expect a lot of people want for landscaping projects and things like that. But just punching it does not, If you, if you want one or two blocks of moss to get later, like don't feel like you have to pull out the axe for it. I think for the most part, it's entirely tolerable
0: to just punch it. So here's my line of thinking is that in this survival playthrough that I will eventually start uh if you're starting off with no end game gear you've got your iron pickaxe and you're trying to preserve it and ores are harder to find because there's less air exposure if you have access to bone meal by composting moss and then growing more you could potentially use moss to mine with bone meal and save yourself a little bit of of um pickaxe durability now you'd have to be looking for ores like you're not going to get the stone you're going to get more moss but if you need the moss for growing food anyway and you're going to be going through and the moss blocks don't overtake the ores like they just leave the ores exposed that could be really cool
1: the difficulty is just moss carpet growing over the ore blocks but i can see players using that as an another mining strategy it could be a really interesting way of uh of exposing some of that stuff
0: just going layer by layer through it and then <laughs> composting the moss for bone meal afterwards if you want to like that late game but like you know in the early stages where you have the one iron pick and you're looking for more iron like i feel like that could be a viable viable way plus you're going to need the more more moss for food and bone meal anyway right like it just it's, it's interesting it could go the way of using beds to find netherite right like, like i don't know
1: <laughs> a little bit yes but no i can i can see maybe Growing moss over a certain area, maybe bordering it with the kind of blocks that moss doesn't eat, and then just carving away at it could be an interesting strategy. I like your thinking. I might actually have to try that once, <laughs> like you said, once we get a, a look at a full world this way, it, it might be worth using a, a, a moss digging strat. We'll We'll see. But uh, yeah, as far as today's discussion though goes, I think that's where we're gonna leave it. Folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.comslash the spawn chunks to join our community. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons only Discord chat and gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our patrons just chatting it up with them about what we've been doing in minecraft lately we are currently at 238 patrons i believe we had one coming in during this recording and it's definitely an increase from last week so thank you so much for that special thanks go out to our content engineers fezu battlecaster general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555
0: jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode thank you very much Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at the TheSpawnChunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them where they can listen to the Spawn Chunks. That happens to be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed linked on the Spunchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast my
1: name is johnny but online i go by Pixelriffs. you can find most of what i do at youtube.com slash where i attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the minecraft survival guide i also stream three days a week on twitch where we do behind the scenes work for the survival guide and sometimes attempt silly challenges in the snapshots i'm also the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap you can find that through a quick youtube search and aside from that i'm at Pixelriffs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you
0: online Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at JoelDuggan.com. My other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, can be found at TheCitadelCafe.com. We've been enjoying Wandavision on that show and talking a lot about that. You can also follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am building a medieval town in Minecraft and welcoming a lot of new Spawn Chunk listeners to the Twitch chat. It's been really fun to hear from you, so please chime, chime in if you are listening to the show and you come to say hi. And tomorrow, Tuesday, March 16th, I am going to be doing a special Satisfactory stream with Update 4. Don't miss it. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks, the world outside is infinite, and glowberries are a light
1: snack.